The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. In Mark chapter 9, in verse 2, we read the following. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they, looked, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning with one another what the rising from the dead should mean. This morning, I want to preach to you from the Gospel of Mark about a mountaintop experience. And we often hear about mountaintop experiences in our lives, don't we? In fact, I, it's true, is it not, that life is really just a, a continuation of valleys and then occasional mountains that you reach the top and, and have a glorious experience, but always seem to have to come back down into the valley, right? Well, this is a, the, really the quintessential mountaintop experience. This is, uh, if you want to talk about mountaintop experiences, this is it. They actually went up in the mountain, and they experienced this amazing time of seeing Jesus transfigured. That means they saw Jesus in his glorified body. I, I believe they saw Jesus as, as we will see Jesus one day when we see him face to face. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about this mountaintop experience and hopefully can relate it to the mountaintop and valley experiences of our lives. The first thing we see here is, is we see them going up the mountain with Jesus. Now, that kind of brings us to a fairly basic uh, principle, and, and it's, it's one of those principles that just always is true, and that is that in order to have a mountaintop experience with Jesus, you've got to go up the mountain with Jesus, okay? you got to be with Jesus. This was just an ordinary mountain without him. They probably weren't the first people that had gone to this particular place on that mountain. You know, human nature being what it is, uh, you remember the famous statement by Sir Edmund Hillary when asked, why, why did you climb Mount Everest? Why do you want to climb Mount Everest? Because it's there. <laughs> human nature being what it is. Uh, there are no doubt people who climbed that mountain. And in fact, I don't believe they went mountain climbing. I don't believe they were scaling the rocks, rappelling, and that sort of thing. What he, what he meant was, though, is that it was a high mountain place, and it took some effort and some time to get there. 
But without Jesus, they could have spent all day and all night scaling the heights of this mountain and gotten to the, to the top and just found a cold, rocky crag. But with Jesus with them, they found something completely different. You know, uh, Paul makes the statement to Timothy. He encourages him. He said, fight the good fight. He says, I have fought a good fight. Now, there's many fights out there. There's a lot of fights we can get into. Uh, you, you know, I sometimes think about that in terms of football. You know, as we know, living in the South, the Southeastern Conference football is a big deal. And I know people who, who get into the fight between teams, Alabama-Auburn or uh, Alabama and Georgia or Mississippi State and Florida or who, you know, you name your team, pick it out. And, and people get so into that. Uh, I, I knew a man one time who was a, a huge Auburn fan. And, uh, and, and this was back in my teenage years. Y'all, some of you remember the time when Alabama Van Tiffin uh, kicked the field goal and beat Auburn at the last second uh, at Legion Field in Birmingham. And uh, uh, it's known as the kick in Alabama lore. Okay, well, this, this guy that I knew, he was, uh, he was listening to it on the radio, and he was, such a, he was so into it, he was so into the fight, and he got so mad when Alabama lost and the, the kick was made and Alabama lost that he threw his radio out in the yard and shot it with a shotgun. <laughs> now, now, that's a fight, isn't it? That's a big fight. But that's not a really good fight, okay? That's not the kind of fight that Paul is talking about. You can fight out there and, and, and go to war, but without Jesus, it's just expending wasted effort. It's just... Nothing without Christ. You could climb the highest mountain. You could scale the heights of Mount Everest. Uh, but, but when you get to the top, all you'll find is a cold, rocky crag without Jesus. Peter and Andrew and John, they could have, uh, they could have gone up into this mount. Peter and James and John, they could, have, they could have gone up by themselves. And they would have seen nothing but an effort uh, that they had expended that, in a sense, would have been wasted. There's a road near Jerusalem called, that we know it as the road to Emmaus. But it's a long, dusty road. Over in the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, we read about some men who had decided to go to Emmaus after the crucifixion of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 13, it says, Behold, two of them, speaking of the disciples, went that same day to a village uh, called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. Now, they weren't going to Emmaus excited. They were down and out. In fact, we know that because as you continue to read here, you'll see that Jesus came to them that day, and he, 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 uh, uh, their eyes, we're told, were holding. In other words, Jesus disguised himself, and I don't believe in the, in the sense of dressing up like somebody else. He just, he just, being God, was able to make them not, uh, not know who he was. So he came to them, and, and it says that uh, he asked them this question. He says, 
What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? So, so get this picture in your mind. This, they didn't have paved roads back then. It might have had some cobblestone tie or rock on it to make it a little better. But, but this was a dusty dirt road of some sort that was, uh, that was a, a, a good little walk. It would have taken them several hours to get to Emmaus. And when they started on that path without Jesus... That's all they experienced was the, the, the effort that had to be expended to get to this place. And they were not happy. They were sad because of all that had gone on in the past, in the past three days. And, they, and, and it was just a lonely stretch of dirt road when they began. But then look at verse. Uh, we don't have time to go through it all, but you know the story. Jesus comes to them. They don't know who he is. But, but notice what happened to them once Jesus got on the scene. Down in verse 32, after, after their eyes were open and they knew who he was, it said in verse 32 that they looked to one another, they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Beloved, I've had many days in my life where I had a road to Emmaus experience. That is, I was starting out the day uh, just driving down uh, to the place where I work or to the whatever place I was visiting that particular day. And I, I've had this, the experience of getting up on the wrong side of the bed even and not, not just kind of being ill, just feeling bad or maybe not ill so much as downcast and sad. Uh, things that have happened in this world, it kind of gets you down, you know. And, and I do a lot, you know, I do a lot of driving and a lot of traveling. And so I, I'll... <laughs> I, listen, I love Merle Haggard. I do. I mean, I love his songs. And, and I've got a whole playlist of Merle Haggard on my, on my iPhone. And I'll sometimes, especially when I'm wanting to feel even more sorry for myself, I'll put on some Merle Haggard songs, you know, or i put on some other country songs. And, and, and listen, I, I, I'm not down in country music, especially the old country music, the real country music, I'll say. Uh, they, uh, I like that old country music, and there's it's some good stuff in there. But, but, you know, what is a lot of the old country music is... is is, is, you know, is my wife left me and I got drunk or she left me because I was drunk and, and, and now getting drunk doesn't do anything for me anymore and, and looks like I'm going to be uh, alone until I stop loving her one day when I die. You know, that kind of thing. That's the, I mean, that's kind of, hey, Brother Mike Ivey, one of his favorite songs, and I'm, 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 I'm bringing him into it just to legitimize myself, okay? One of his favorite songs is He Stopped Loving Her Today, okay? I love that song too, but don't listen to that song and expect to be picked up, <laughs> okay? If you want to, you know, if you're already feeling sorry for yourself and you want to feel more sorry for yourself, go listen to that song. You know, it's, it's a good one to Oh, yeah, I'm not the only one. I can, you know, before long. But anyway, but don't expect on your road to Emmaus that, that pulling out that kind of music, and maybe it's some other kind of music for you. Maybe it's uh, some, some, you know, rock tune or whatever. Any secular music, it's not going to pick you up. I've had the experience of being driving along, and I'm listening to that old, that old sad stuff, and, and I'm just getting worse and worse. And finally, it occurs to me that, you know, uh, Brother Mike Goins has a streaming radio service that's 24-7 Primitive Baptist sermons and Primitive Baptist songs, uh, a cappella music, I should say. 
And it's gracealoneradio.net for everybody that's listening. Anybody that wants to go. So I say, you know, I might just need to pick, uh, to switch over to that and listen to what Brother Mike's got going on. I did that not too long ago, and Brother Buddy was preaching a sermon on that grace. He had one of Brother Buddy's sermons on there. Don't remember the topic now, but, but instead of getting, I felt like as I was driving to Montgomery, I was getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this, into this, you know, kind of this hole that I was going in into. Well, and when I turned that on and started listening to Brother Buddy, and then Brother, uh, uh, Brother Tim has, some, has a regular program on there, Brother Ben Winslet, I started hear, and hearing those things. I suddenly had a road to Emmaus experience. Before long, I was feeling chill, chill bumps, because uh, I was feeling the spirit so much, just total 180-degree opposite of where I started. You know what the difference was? The difference, it wasn't Brother Buddy, and it wasn't the songs themselves. I don't mean, you know, listen, Brother Buddy's a wonderful preacher. These songs are beautiful songs, but any preaching that you ever hear without Jesus is no good. But you know what happened? Jesus came to visit. Now, he used Brother Buddy's sermon. He used those songs. He used Brother Tim. He used, I listened for two hours, and by the time I got to my office, I was feeling, I was feeling good. You know, I had gotten out of that way of thinking and that way of feeling, and I was feeling good. My heart was burning within me. I did that one time not too long ago, and Elder Lonnie Mazingo, Jr., uh, came on when I was, I was listening. To, I can't even remember where I was going, but it was so good that I picked up the phone and called him. And I said, Brother Lonnie, thank you so much. You made the difference in my day. Now, I know he didn't make the difference. You know what I'm saying. Uh, it's not me. It's not Brother Buddy. It's not Brother John Morgan or Brother Lonnie or anybody. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God coming to be with you, with Jesus. Even the dirty uh, dirt road to Emmaus can become a place of revival in heart. See, they were with Jesus. You know, and you may say, well, preacher, I just, you know, that's, that's, I'm just not educated enough to, to have those kinds of experiences. <laughs> Over, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. But, but, but sometime go read the first, especially the first three chapters. Chapters 2 through 4 of Acts. The first four chapters particularly. And, uh, and in Acts chapter 4, it's sort of a culmination of all the preaching that Peter and James and John were doing. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 the, the Pharisees were, were dealing with them. They were persecuting them. But it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them. Now, why did they do that? Because suddenly they became educated and they had read the philosophers and they had become uh, some philosophers themselves? No. It said they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, beloved, being with Jesus can be a life change, is a life changing experience. Now, now understand, I'm talking to you as children of God who I believe are children of God, born of the Spirit. But even children of God, born of the Spirit, can spend too much, we, I spend too much of my life away from Jesus. I spend too much of my life focused on on other things out there in the world that do not pick me up. You know, it's almost insanity. You know, what do they say? The definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. <laughs> you know, if, if you do the same things over and over and over again, the same result is going to happen. 
But so I, I, I'll go sometimes for days without reading the Word of God, without engaging in a serious prayer session with, with the Lord. And I think, you know, I don't know why I feel so bad. Well, I know why you feel so bad. I know why I feel so bad when I'm not doing that is I haven't been with Jesus. Some of my travels, I, you know, let's, let's make it real. Let's bring it down to where we can understand it here, okay? And some, some of my job requires me to travel. And lately, not so much. But y'all know during the campaign, I was gone a lot. And there were a lot of nights where I had to spend a night away from home. And sometimes there was, there was one or two cases. I remember one time in particular where um, it wasn't all politics related. It was, uh, uh, some of it was preacher related. I, I had gone down to the coast, down to Gulf Shores for a couple of meetings. And I think if I remember right, I got down there on a Wednesday evening. And I spent Wednesday night and Thursday night there. Then on Friday, I flew to Las Vegas uh, to preach out there, or it may have been Saturday. And then I, I flew back in on Sunday night so I could be down at uh, another meeting on Monday and Tuesday. So for five nights, or maybe six, I was away from home, okay? I was away from my dear wife. Now, it might have been a pleasure for her, but it wasn't for me, I can tell you that. <laughs> and I don't think it was for her either. Uh, because the, the longer I was away from her, the worse mood I was in. It sure wasn't a pleasure for anybody around me because I'd gotten just aggravated and ill that I was away from, from where I needed to be, from away from my wife. Well, listen, if that puts me in a bad mood, being away from home, being away from my family puts me in a bad mood, what kind of mood am I going to be in if I'm away from Jesus, if I'm not focusing on Him and I'm not spending time with Him and I'm not going up the mountain with Him to spend, to have a mountaintop experience uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. In order to have a mountaintop experience with Jesus, you must go up the mountain with Jesus. Okay, now there's another principle, though, that we need to remember. In order to have a mountaintop experience with Jesus, you must go up the mountain with Jesus. <laughs> In other words, you can't sit home and expect Jesus to just miraculously transport us to the top of the mountain. He didn't say, James and uh, or Peter and, uh, uh, I always forget, Peter and James and John. He said, Peter, he didn't say, Peter and James and John, y'all sit here and I'm going to go up the mountain and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wiggle my nose or I'm going to snap my fingers and transport you up here. No. It says, after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain. You see, the disciples could have said, nah, I'm good, Lord. I, that's just too far for me. I don't do well in those high altitudes. I, I'm just going to stay down here. When you get done, come on back. Well, you know, they could have done that, and they would still be his disciples. They would still be his children. But boy, they would have missed this mountaintop experience. You can't, it takes some effort to have a mountaintop experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to get up and go. You know, you remember John, I mean Thomas? You remember, we call him. You know, I, I hope one day when I'm gone, they don't look back, you know, you know, 100 years from now, <clears throat> this church, I pray, will still be here and there'll be another pastor, you know, and some of the older, some of you young folks, uh, probably it'll be your children that'll, that'll be old folks by then. And they'll be talking about the pastors in the past of Zion Church. And they say, uh, yeah, let's see, uh, 
back in 2011, old Doughton Chris came along, and he was the pastor. You remember old Doughton Chris? You know, he, he's, he wasn't the faithful one. He was the doubting. You know, poor old Thomas, doubting Thomas. I mean, now, the, the, the problem that we do, we label, we label people too much, you know. And uh, Thomas only doubted for a short period of time, and he was, con he was converted and convinced. So he's faith. But that's what we call him as doubting Thomas because of this event, because there was a time in the, in the Gospel of John over in the, uh, uh, I believe it's in the 21st chapter, um, the 20th chapter, I'm sorry, the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, in verse, uh, verse 19. And uh, I, want you to, I want you to notice something here. I, I, I just want to read this. Look at this. You're talking about a mountaintop experience. Now, they had one up on top of the mountain, but this was a mountaintop experience here because by this time, Jesus had been crucified. You remember when they came down the mountain, they didn't understand. They said, what is he talking about, a man rising from the dead? Well, now they know. He's proving it to them here, see. This is the time when they finally gain the understanding of what it means for one to rise from the dead. And it says in uh, chapter 20 and verse 19, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And, and so, so you remember they come down the mountain and they said, what in the world does this mean? If somebody's going to rise, he's going to rise from the dead. What does it mean? Hey, right here, right here, they get the answer. Because it says, when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. These disciples were with the Lord. And then Jesus Tells, speaks peace uh, to them in verse 22. He breathes on them and says, Receive you the Holy Ghost. And, and, and he says, uh, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. In other words, he's given some authority to the church here uh, in the timely sense, here in this life. But notice verse 24. But Thomas, <laughs> old doubting Thomas, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. <laughs> I often think about Thomas, uh, and he goes on, to, they go on to tell him what happened. They, you know, how many times, and I, and I'm, we've had some amazing annual meetings here at this church, have we not? And we've also had some amazing services just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. We've had some awesome experiences. Um, one of the best examples I can tell you, I can share this with you is, is the example recently. I was supposed to go with Tim to the Rich Mountain Association back in August out in Arkansas. I was supposed to go. I had planned to go. But things were worked themselves out to the point where I didn't feel like I could go. So I backed out. So Tim and some of his family and Brother David Crawford and uh, Sister Sherry and uh, some others win. I've been there before, so it's a wonder. It's an amazing singing and that sort of thing. So, so about uh, Saturday afternoon, it started on Thursday night. Saturday afternoon, I get a text from Tim, and it's a video. It's got a video on there of a guy. You you remember the Sunday night we had Tim come in and tell us about the the young the man that joined out there and was baptized in about 18 inches of water. Uh, all the things that God did, the, glor the glorious things that the Lord did out there. Well, listen, he told me all about it. He tried to explain to me how glorious it was. And I believe him, but I can't experience it. I, couldn't, I didn't experience it, so I can't fully understand it. 
You see, when, when, when I wasn't there and when we're not there, we can't experience what, what went on at that particular place. So Thomas is, is in this situation. Thomas, he said, except, they said, Let, let's tell you, we've seen the Lord. And I'm sure they tried to go into details of what they saw and the things they did. And he said, but it says, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know why? Because he wasn't there. Thomas wouldn't be saying this because in a, just a little while, and we're not going to go into it, but in a few minutes, if we kept reading, we'd see where there's another time Jesus shows up and Thomas is there, and man, he didn't have to touch anything to believe. <laughs> he experienced it, you see. But my point is this, is that Thomas not being with them, Thomas not, for whatever reason, not making the effort to get up and to go and be where Jesus was, to be in this place where the mountaintop experience occurred, uh, that he missed it and he was not able to get it back. He's not able, you're not able to explain it to anybody that wasn't there. Question this morning, are we willing to put in the effort required to experience the mountaintops of the kingdom of God? Or are we more, I mean, I'll tell you what I'm better at. I'm much better at making excuses. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. Uh, whatever else it may be. I'm much better at making excuses uh, than, about, than of putting in the effort to be where the mountaintop experience is going to occur. And by the way, I'm not just talking about church attendance here. I mean, certainly I encourage you to be here. Be here when you can. I know there's some that can't be here all the time. And, and certainly there's, uh, there's, there, are, uh, there are times when the ox gets in the ditch. I've had that happen to me. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. One thing I heard a preacher say one time, he said, if you're, if you're constantly missing because the ox is in the ditch, <clears throat> then you either need to sell the ox or fill in the ditch. <laughs> okay? That's, that's kind of one of those things that if that becomes the norm, you know, the ox in the ditch is the exception. If that becomes the norm, then you need to do something different and make sure that, that, that you're, uh, you don't have that to fall back. Because I tell you, human nature, being such as it is, any, uh, it, it doesn't take much for me to start thinking about, oh, I don't think I want to be there. <laughs> I don't want to be at the church service. You know, I, I even thought about it over this week. I was thinking, you know, my back's in such bad shape. I, I'd have a really good reason to just stay home. But uh, started to call Brother Buddy and say, can you preach this morning and tonight? But, but you know what? I'm so glad I didn't because now I'm able to be here and experience the feeling of the Holy Spirit that I feel here today. Now, look, though, I'm not just talking about church attendance, okay? Don't, don't feel like I'm browbeating or anything. Sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes uh, we, we think about that as the only thing. But listen, I'm talking about your prayer life. I'm talking about your Bible study, your private prayer life, your private Bible study, you see? Uh, I'll tell you, beloved, I wasn't having a church service the day I was driving down to Montgomery and I began to experience the revival of the presence of Jesus. I could have kept listening to the bottle let me down. I could have kept listening to that. I could have kept listening to he stopped loving her today. But instead, I made the effort to, go, to reach down and to find Grace Alone Radio and switch over to it and start listening to some good preaching and some good uh, acapella singing of the hymns of Zion. And you know what? Because of that effort, I was able to experience uh, the, the presence of Jesus, and I look to that day as one of the mountaintop experiences of my life. Now, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, because I'm telling you, that, 
in too many ways is an exception in my life. I have, I have let that go too many times and just continued to wallow in the misery of this life. It takes some effort to get up and to go up the mountain with Jesus. Going up the mountain with Jesus. But now look what happens when you get up on top of the mountain with Jesus. Look, at, look, at, look back at verse 2. It says, He was transfigured before them. That word there is metamorpho. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? You've heard of a metamorphosis. That's, that's a, something that happens in the life of a butterfly. Caterpillar goes through a metamorphosis to become a beautiful butterfly. Jesus here had gone through a metamorphosis. He had become transfigured in their, in their life, in, in, in their presence. And notice that literally means to transform or to change. And it must have been glorious. Look at verse 3. His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. I mean, that's, that's, think, about, think about what it must have been like. Over in the book of Revelation, I think we see another, a, a more detailed description, rather, of the transfigured Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 10, after um, uh, John is writing to us here about his experience, he says, I was, in the Lord, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. By the way, sort of gives us another inkling into the fact that uh, that we're not going to experience these mountaintops in, in our spiritual life without being in the Spirit, being with Jesus, you see. If he'd, if, he'd been, uh, if he'd been wallowing in the misery of being exiled, he probably wouldn't have experienced this. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, first and last. And what thou seest, write in a book. And he tells him, tells him where to send it. And then in verse 12, he turns around and he sees these candlesticks. And in the midst, verse 13, of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His voice is the sound of many waters. I'd love to just dwell on this today. Think about the, the glory of being in the presence of a transfigured Jesus. Think about the glory that they saw there. It's like the time when the shepherds were out on the hillsides. They were watching their, their flocks by night. And it says the angel appeared unto them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And you know what happened? They were sore afraid. You know what happened when they saw Jesus transfigured? We've already read it. They were sore afraid. <laughs> and he goes on to talk about what all he looked like. His feet were like undefined brass. As if they burned, his voice was the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. This isn't some waning sun going down in the west. This is the sun at noonday. This is the sun you can't look at with your naked eyes. That's the way the Lord Jesus Christ looked in his transfiguration. I believe, beloved, this is a preview of the resurrection, by the way, both his and ours. 
Notice verse 4. There appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. I believe Elias and Moses were also in a glorified state. I don't believe, you know, and we, we see that because of what Peter says in a few minutes. Peter was so overwhelmed with this, he got so excited, and he got overzealous. <laughs> but they weren't just some normal-looking people out there. They looked glorified as well. And notice what happens then. Peter, <laughs> they've see, seen this illustrious Savior. And now he's got this, he's got an admirable desire here in verse 5. Peter says, let's, let's, he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And listen, truly it is good for us to be here. When the Lord comes down and fills this house, when we have a full house, especially, say, at our annual meeting, and we've had so many experiences like that where the Holy Spirit came down and we've experienced the blessings being poured out upon the preachers up here who've been able to preach in power and demonstration of the Spirit, and we've felt the, the, the very feeling of being in the presence of God. It is good for us to be there there at that time Peter's exactly right it is good for us to be here there's been times when I wanted to stay right here and never leave there are times I come back here during the week and just spend a little time here and it makes me feel closer to the Lord because I felt so close to the Lord so many times here in this place but just remember this beloved there's one day when we're going to dwell in the mountaintop for eternity. But God did not intend for us to dwell on the mountaintop here in this life all the time. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't mean for us like the hermits to go out and live in the desert in a cave and try to constantly uh, distance ourselves from those around us. You see, the only way we experience the mountaintops and know that they're mountaintops is if we've been through a valley. Now, I'm not saying, don't give me, this is not some Romans 8 and 28 perversion of, 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 of the truth of where it's saying that, well, all these bad things are good for us. They're not good for us. The bad things are bad for us. That's why we call them bad things. <laughs> Sin is not good for us. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> until you've experienced the lows of this life, you'll never appreciate the highs of the mountaintop as much. Praise God. See, that's the promise of the valleys. That's the promise of the valleys. God doesn't send the valleys. God, doesn't, God created this world good. We talked about the problem of evil two messages last Sunday and the relationship that God has with evil. And by the way, the, the answer to that question is what is God's relationship to evil is that he hates it. <laughs> he hates it, and he didn't create it, okay? But, but what happens is knowing where, see, God didn't say go to church Build a wall around it and stay there and never leave. He said, you know what? Uh, there's going to be some mountaintops. There's going to be some times of like this time of transfiguration. But then it says they went back down, but they went with Jesus. See, that's the difference. That's the, di the valley by yourself is a horrible place. The valley with Jesus is not so bad. No matter what you're experiencing, it's not so bad. Jesus didn't intend for us to go live out in the desert and become a hermit. He intended for us to take what we learn on the mountaintops back into the valleys of this life and to live it out and to share it with those around us. Now notice Peter's inappropriate zeal, okay? And I get Peter, I really do. You know, we all do, well, not all of us, but 
I do, at least. I often talk too much. Peter, Peter often talked too much. Notice in verse 6, uh, verse 5, he said, Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And why did he say that? You know, why did he say that? Well, this is why. Because he, he wist not or he knew not what to say, for they were so afraid. He got scared and just started talking. You know, sometimes we do that, don't we? Sometimes I do that. Uh, one thing I, 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 I don't mean to embarrass my, my dear wife, but one of the things I admire about her is she knows how to keep her mouth shut. You know, I have a struggle with that. Uh, I have children that have various degrees of that trouble keeping their mouth shut. Some are good at it, some are not. Uh, I, you can ask me later about who that is. But anyway, uh, you probably know already. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, so he didn't know what to say. So he's, he, he didn't know what to say, so he just started talking. But listen, beloved, if you don't know what to say, just stay silent. That's the best thing. Uh, Proverbs ten nineteen says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Now, O Peter, I have, I have great uh, feeling of kinship with him because, as I said, I often talk too much. And I say, I speak when I ought to remain silent. But praise God, even in Peter's uh, foolishness, God is merciful, and he set him straight. In verse 7, God set him straight by speaking directly to him. He said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And by, by the way, we don't have time to go into it because our time is up, but read the other accounts of the transfiguration, and you're going to find, I believe it's in Luke. It may be Matthew, but you're going to find, I believe it's in Luke, where he says that they had fallen asleep during this. So, so, again, the flesh being willing, I mean, the spirit being willing, but the flesh being weak, as they did in the Garden of Gethsemane, they fell asleep. And, and I'm sure when they woke up, they just saw the transfiguration. It was like a, it was like a blow to them, like, whoa. You know, they, they didn't see all that led up to it because they had gone to sleep. But notice it says in verse 8, this is so important as we kind of bring this to a close. Suddenly, when they had looked around about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with them or with themselves. You remember God spoke to them, audibly spoke. You say, well, I wish he'd do that today. Well, he doesn't audibly speak, but he speaks, beloved, right here in this word. And in fact, I've heard it said before that if God spoke audibly out of heaven today, he'd just repeat something he's already written down in his word. Because he's given us all we need to know right here. That's all we need right here in the word of God. He speaks to us. And I promise you, if you'll stay in this word, you will hear God speak to you from this word. And you will be able to sort through all of the lies and all of the, uh, of the assaults upon your sensibilities in this world. And you will come out of here understanding that Jesus Christ is the beloved Son of God in whom God was pleased. He wasn't pleased with me. He wasn't pleased with you. He wasn't pleased with Peter or James or John. But he was well pleased with Jesus Christ. And his work on the cross. And when you get your focus right, like these, like these sweet disciples and apostles here, then the only one you'll see is Jesus. The only one you'll see. Nothing else matters in this life. And notice, as they came down from the mountain, it says in verse 9, he charged them some things here to, to tell no man what had happened until he's raised. But notice what happened. 
They didn't completely understand everything. But when they came down from the mountain, they came back down the mountain with Jesus. I'm so thankful that our Savior is not one who dwells only on the mountains. Turn over there and read it sometime in 1 Kings, the 20th chapter. The Syrians, the Syrians had said God was only a God of the hills, a God of the mountains, and not a God of the valleys. And in verse 28 of that chapter, it says, when this man came, he said, uh, there was, a, there was a, a prophet sent to the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. You know, our God is the God of the mountaintops, but he's the God of the valleys as well. And when we leave that mountaintop experience, we don't leave Jesus there. We shouldn't. He, we come back down the mountain with him. Beloved, this week, I feel like today, every Sunday, but Sundays are supposed to be a mountaintop experience for us as his children. I believe today as I've experienced a mountaintop this morning, hearing you sing, the fellowship, feeling the spirit of the Lord here. But when we go out those doors, sometimes it's like a, oh, we've divested ourselves of Jesus. No, we haven't. He goes with us, beloved. Don't take your focus off him just because you're out in the valleys. The mountaintops are wonderful. But the valleys can be wonderful too as long as our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ and we are walking with Him. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.